Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. upset uh allison oh yeah she was showing me her favorite tv show magnum pi and i've never seen the show before i don't really know what it's about i'm trying to make sense of the first episode totally totally um do you know the premise of magnum pi isn't he a private investigator i think right I mean, that is in the title, so good <laughs> job there. Thank you. Con- um, you, context you were, clues you were, you were real, that, you really put <laughs> your investigatory mind to the test there. Yeah. The premise of the show is Magnum's a Vietnam vet living in Hawaii, um, and he's solving crimes and stuff, but he lives at this uh like millionaire authors some some author who writes like thriller novels or whatever okay um he lives at his house as a permanent guest and the reason that he's there is he's supposed to test the security of the house hmm yeah and the the caretaker guy that lives there is this guy named higgins who's like this uptight british guy with these two like dobermans uh, one named Zeus and one named Apollo, hmm. uh, who he refers to as his lads. That's great. I love uh, that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, he's just he's just he's uptight and stuffy and British. And, <laughs> you know, he can't he can't stand, you know, uh, this rapscallion Magnum. <laughs> right, right. Um, who's so uncouth. You know, mm. compared to him, he's uh, and then so I watch I'm watching the first episode, you know, just kind of enjoying it for how goofy it is and everything. And Allison's like, you'll never guess the twist. Oh, no, that uh, is at the end of the series or towards the end of the series. And I just think about it for like a second. And oh, I'm I like. Higgins is the author. And she was like, what? And I was like, I was like, well, it, it's I don't know. It's like, what 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 other twist would there be? And she was like really upset that I like, you know, after watching half an episode had guessed what I guess is supposed to be a really big plot reveal. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> In the series. <sighs> I guess you were just too good of an investigator, Zan. <laughs> well, I learned from the best. Right. Magnum P.I. Only half an episode, though. But, oh, yeah. man, that's... I'm sorry. I wish I could grow a mustache like that, though. Mm, don't we all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, maybe don't call out plot twists like that and just play along with it. But, yeah, uh, now I feel really <laughs> bad for any of our visitors that were ever oh, planning yeah. on, on watching alert. Magnum P.I. too. But also, spoiler alert for a very old television show. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I didn't plan on yeah. watching it, so I don't mind yeah. too much. We, we would like to welcome everybody back after our yes, hiatus. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. back to the Uncanny County Museum. We are still here. We are still kicking. It has been a hell of a couple of weeks, has it not? Oh, absolutely. Definitely very crazy. Lots going on. I know Zan has a lot going on specifically, but we also were able to see each other in specifically Boston, which was very fun. So I was able to finally mm-hmm. go on the UCM Bostonian tour, which was yes, quite great. Yes. Um, how, how, how did you find how did you find Boston? I actually really liked it. I have to say, I think it was mm-hmm. very different than anything I'm used to because right. it's not it, it's not as aggressive or let's be honest, dirty as like Philly or New York. But at the same time, like, I still feel like people will fight you in Boston, but there's sort of a pleasantry mm-hmm. about it. It's very mm-hmm. colonial in that way, at least the colonial right, American. Right, yeah, no, it's that, it's, that, it's that New Englander attitude. Yeah, and, it, and there's a lot of green, which was surprising yeah, yeah, to no, me. Yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of green space and everything. There's the, the green monster. Um, yeah. There's the thing, the, the aggression of Bostonians is the sports stuff, of course. Mm, and right. I have to I have to say I have now seen Gang of Youths twice, mm. both times in Boston. The first time mm. I saw them years ago and one of the things I remember was the lead singer talking quite a bit about <laughs> all the Boston sports teams that <laughs> right. he likes. And then which you assume is local pandering, but he seems sure. to know a lot. And then I'm I'm watching him again rec- uh, recently and he's still talking about all the Boston sports teams. He's naming players. He's clearly up to date. And it's like, wh- there's something really surreal about an Australian that cares this much yeah. about U.S. regional sports. Hey, you know? Yeah, that's pretty bizarre. And and just and just hearing him be like, you know, fuck the prison industrial complex. Please be good to each other. Fuck right. the Lakers. Totally related. Totally related there. Um, <laughs> wow. That would give me whiplash. Like, okay, yeah. Wait, wait what's the left? La- All right. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Both the Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love them. Go Sox. Yeah. You you, know? No, you gotta. You gotta. You gotta. You don't have a choice. I got uh-huh. that vibe very quickly, but I'm used to it with Philadelphia sports. That's why I don't wear sports teams uh, apparel. <laughs> But uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but while you were there, we got to do something that we've been actually meaning to do, I think, for years, because I have not been able to shut up about this museum (laughs) to anyone that will listen. Um, uh, So much so that we've actually incorporated it into uh, into our exhibition uh, here at the UCM today. We're dusting off the cobwebs. We're back. They didn't fire us yet. Did not fire us yet. Uh, for, from abandoning our post for a couple of weeks. Uh, but what what is this installation and why does it, it looks very permanent. Why, I thought this was a temporary exhibition. Oh, no, actually, this is one of those like reserved off wings that we have because some like wealthy patron 
Baron person. I don't quite remember them, like, mm. you know, where they come from, but they essentially, like, pretty much curated and donated money for this exhibition space, but, like, in the clause to the UCM that n- none of it can be changed or altered, like, ever. And I was like, mm. I don't know, 50, 70 years ago, something around that ballpark. Oh. So okay. it's it's been like this for a while, but uh, unfortunately, it's in one of the wings where we have to constantly cut through. So it's mm. sort of a weirdly perfect spot if you ever have to, like, see the exhibition space to move into another one, but it can never be rearranged. So it's a little jarring when you're going from one room mm. with, you know, our video installation on the ground and floor and stuff, and then you go into this old classical, you know, like early uh, 19th century looking room and then back to crazy videos and stuff. So it's a little right, little bizarre. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure all of that aged perfectly well. Uh, yeah, for an, an exhibition in a public space that you can't change. Yeah, we um, dim the lights in certain places. Yeah, uh, but not by much because we can't go past yeah. like twenty percent or whatever. But you know, right? Well, crazy. I mean, this. I mean, this is a kind of our opportunity to to really to talk about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Yes, and yes. What kind of an incredible thing it is to have in Boston. Um, its reputation is kind of more with some other things that we will talk about. Sure, sure. Um, but if we could, for a moment, for a moment, talk about it as a museum and what it sort of means to the history of exhibition design, curation, uh, it, it it is so much more than the very famous uh, heist you know yeah and i i would like to hope that uh the ucm is also protected against heists i mean i i mean what else am i am i why else am i maintaining the crocodile pits if we do not have <laughs> some sort of security system in place i think we have some i'm a little nervous that we invested too much in very wacky ones from like you know early cartoons but i guess we'll have to see if they do work or not because i don't know how Mm -hmm. else we're supposed to protect all of this space there's quite a lot of things to cover in here Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well i mean but that's the thing about the ucm you never know what you'll find here never gonna know and that's why you keep coming back always well also it's it's incredibly hard to plan a heist if you don't know what's inside a museum that is true. I think Nicolas Cage might be able to pull it off, though. Mm, mm. I don't know. Specifically, whatever his Benjamin Franklin OC <laughs> character was at National Treasure. But um... I'm going to steal El Haleo by John Singer Sargent. <laughs> Why? We don't need it. I have to get them. I I don't want it to tangent too far, but I was recently rewatching that again because my sister wanted to watch it. Why not? It's a perfect movie. Well, I am convinced it's what led us into conspiracy theories in America for starters, but also Mm. that movie. It's, I feel like Neil Breen watched that movie and was like, I will become this character. This is me now. You, hmm, you might have a point there. I, do you think Neil Breen like looks in the mirror and is like, I could be Nicolas Cage? Yes, I 100% mm. think that because he's kind of got the hair going on a little bit more mullet, I guess. And like, I feel like he does look like cereal box Nick Cage a little <laughs> like sli- slightly off brand. 
Like the Nicolas Cage impersonator that shows up to your party that like your friend got you, but it was like a $20 actor sort of voucher mm. thing. So it's not really that great, but it's close enough. Right, right. I mean, I think the thing about about Neil Breen, not, now that we're talking about Neil Breen. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. It's, you know, obviously we don't want to be totally superficial and and, you know, judgmental of someone's looks. But I think the thing is, he thinks he's very handsome yes, and yes. he thinks he's very smart and he has vanity on top of vanity. And I think that's just what kind of makes it because when you get down to it, Nicolas Cage is kind of a not your most conventionally attractive looking person, but has like the, the charisma he's got, and yeah. the talent. Oh, yeah. It, it, when when you use him right. Mandy. Great movie. Highly mm. recommend. Yeah. Or, you know, his his guest appearances on Saturday Night Live uh, <laughs> next to Andy Samberg. Yeah, it's really, really great moment. Uh, yeah. No, my favorite Nicolas Cage performance is him advertising Ghost Rider, too. Oh, my God. I forgot they made a second one. Oh, my God. How could you forget? How are you not first in bl- line to see Ghost Rider 2? <laughs> I, I, I think I blocked out that memory, Zan. I definitely was first in line to see Ghost Rider. Mm. Oh, Any, oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, you, a, and then you accidentally ended up seeing Ghost Writer, <laughs> uh, which was a very, uh, I, it, it was, yeah. it was a very uh, contemplative uh, right. movie about someone writing someone else's book. Right, right. I was wondering why there wasn't a guy on fire. That was a bit confusing. Well, that was me and Nightcrawler. I was waiting. I was like, when does he <laughs> join the X Men? I thought it was Nightcrawler too. <laughs> I was convinced, and I'm like, this isn't an X Men movie, is it? Yeah, it's it's really taken its time. Is that yeah. how much franchise film has warped us? Yes, I think so. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways, back to the random high school. Oh play. yeah, back, back, to, back to the art museum. So, um, <laughs> uh, we can go a little bit into the history of the gardener. Um, For those that might not know about it, uh, it is a Boston museum uh, built in uh, built in the late 1800s out of uh, the art collection of John L. Gardner and his wife, Isabella Stewart Gardner's art collection. Now, um, the what what's. What what one thing to understand is just how central Mrs. Gardner was to this project. This isn't the type of thing where you have just a wealthy patron that puts up some money, hires some architects and some curators, and just sort of puts together uh, an, an art collection just purely on their prestige, and and you know just sets up their own little museum or whatever um miss gardner was so hands-on with every aspect of this museum um and for a lot of really interesting and idiosyncratic reasons uh that we'll Mm. get into as we go uh i think one thing to understand when you go into the museum is that you can't go in immediately with the idea that you're going to learn something necessarily about art history, despite there being a lot of, you know, um, artifacts and historically significant pieces of art 
you're going to go in there to learn about Mrs. Gardner and how she saw the world, how she saw aesthetics and beauty and, and, and life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So from, so Isabella Stewart Gardner, uh, she's born, you know, to a fairly well-to-do family. Her family, uh, has, uh, a lot of money in linen, uh, and lace. That's, that's kind of how they made, uh, their money. She travels at a young age and is really impressed with a lot of uh, European art, particularly Italian art. She comes back to the States and marries John Gardner. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a, a modestly wealthy couple. Uh, but then she inherits uh, a, a fairly decent... Uh, amount of money not huge mm. not comparable to like say a rockefeller or a vanderbilt you know these other people that had these impressive american art collections you know she she inherits like at, at the you know and at the time i know this was more money but you know she she inherits a couple million dollars okay uh which back then a lot more money but still nothing compared to the real movers and shakers right so rather than kind of blowing all of that on a couple of pieces of art, she has this vision that she is going to bring uh, fine art culture to America, particularly Boston, which uh, she's, you know, sort of become a socialite uh, there. And she wants to import uh, the the prestige uh, and you know, sort of discern tastes of Europe to America. Hmm. Uh, because, you know, the United States at the time, you know, we're talking the kind of post-Civil War, but, you know, this is still pre-American century. Uh, America is impressive for a lot of reasons to people outside of the U.S. Hmm. Uh, but... The United States is not known as an arts center yet. No. Um, right. And right. it doesn't have, at least in the eyes of European Americans and Europe, there's no uh there's there's no acknowledgement of American culture, American arts, really, aside from some, you know, isolated movements and things. Sure. So um, you know, Gardner, uh, she has some tragedy in her life. Her only child with John Gardner dies at the age of two uh, from mm -hmm. pneumonia. She has a miscarriage and is uh, later and is then told that she can have no more children and goes into a deep depression. Um, mm -hmm. She's sort of sent by her doctor to go and travel the world. You know, like, that'll cheer you up. And, you know, it, it kind of does. It's, you know, this is a very romantic era type of thing. But she she sort of, it, it sort of gives her a new purpose. She's very interested in learning about other cultures. Uh, she doesn't just travel to Europe. She travels to the Middle East. She travels to East Asia. She, you know, is is getting around quite a bit and really sees this, gap in american museums you know a lot of american museums will have copies of statues from europe uh mm. the 
the hot thing to do at the time was to have, um, uh, you know, just sort of the beginning of even a mentality that we still see now that you didn't, you either wanted to have antique French furniture or you wanted to have new furniture that gave the impression that it was antique. Right. Um, that makes sense. People, yeah, people, like, even back then, people went to expositions to, like, it, it was kind of like um, a, uh, people would purchase furniture and decorations for their house based off of an idea of huh. what they wanted their house to look like rather than building a personal collection of art and furniture. Gardner saw that with her slightly lower budget, she could get real antiques that were just slightly, they, they just weren't quite in vogue in America, but she knew what she could do with them. So she buys antique uh, German and Italian furniture, which was not as desirable, but she could get a lot of nice stuff for very little. Hmm. Um, right. The, there's not really a uh, a market for uh, a lot of uh, Renaissance masters and, you know, because in, in America, things that were stylish were French and British. And then right. suddenly she's the first to bring Titians and Vermeers and Rembrandts into America. Hmm. Yeah. So she brings this in. She displays it in her own home with uh, John. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of building towards this idea that they need a bigger space. You know, they're very much in that. Uh, we have no idea if she had any direct contact with uh, Gonkot, who we talked about in an earlier in an earlier exhibition. Um, but we do know that. Um, we, we do know that she had at least one of his books and a and a sketch of him. Okay, so she was really into this idea of a personal collection built around artworks rather than um, the museum, which kind of sterilized all of these things. Hmm. So her uh, her husband suddenly dies in 1898. And so she is kind of now the sole uh, manager of this fortune. and she puts it into motion to start, you know, this new museum uh, in Fenway. Uh, she, you know, buys some land. This is kind of back when that area was very undeveloped uh, and starts and starts building what is sort of modeled after a Venetian palace. It has a courtyard in the middle uh, with a garden that she wants, you know, constant rotation of the plants so that there's this this living element to it she has big rooms uh devoted to concerts um and she makes each room try to feel like something lived in but it's all part of this construction of an exhibition space to show off of her collection some of it is real antiques some of it she unfortunately got duped here and there, uh, right. and they're fake antiques. <laughs> uh, and then she's got a lot of uh, at her at 
at her time, uh, contemporary art as well, um, sprinkled in there. She was friends with Zorn and John Singer Sargent, um, mm. Whistler. So there's some of that in there as well. And just things from her travels. And a lot of it is not labeled. Uh, so uh, you are really just supposed to go in there without the context of what these things are and instead supposed to see how those objects react to the space and you. Like, what are you drawn to in that room? Yeah, um, yeah. She opens this museum uh, in 1903 and... Uh, you know, it, it it's a completely different experience to a museum. There's music, there's scents from the uh from the flowers she grows, there's all of this very dramatic lighting that she's set up inside. There's these fireplaces <laughs> and candles next to all of this priceless yeah, art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. nerve-wracking for sure. Yeah, so but when she dies, she um she has a stipulation that none of this can be changed, that the very weird way that she has arranged all of these things, some of them not at a great height to view them, some of them just piled on top of each other, some of them sort of hidden away almost, like you have to stumble upon them. She stipulates that none of this can be changed. And you have to... And and the 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 severity with which you know she wanted her vision to be preserved is understandable when you consider a lot of people would have collections like this and leave it you know to the public when they died and then it would be completely uh mangled parts of it almost always were sold off she said in her will if anything was changed everything was to be auctioned off and the money donated to harvard Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So they they work pretty hard to try and interpret her vision, uh, even now when they have to make a lot of consolations uh, for modern museum practices. Now, that all being said, as as the briefest summary of (laughs) what happened, I have to ask, Joe, what was your impression going into the space? Because I've been there multiple times before. I had hyped it up to you for years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Finally got to walk in there with you. And it was like, you know, it was me, you know, get, being like feeling like a little kid in a dinosaur museum with you. Oh, it was great. It was such a great. Yes. I mean, th- also, just but that also, experience. but also did it not also make you incredibly anxious? <laughs> as as someone as someone that knows about displaying art yeah yeah no i was like stressed <laughs> but i mean it was like i i ha- i mean because the one thing that that was definitely stressful for me was like when you finally think about oh this is all gonna be lit by candle that's really close to the painting um i wonder how that affects it and also just it's very there's art everywhere However, it is so cool. I mean, it was one of the greatest museum experiences I think I've had in in a while because we went, we were at the MFA first, which we didn't do all nearly really any of it. We just did the one exhibition with Turner's work. But like that was a more contemporary or at least maybe like more modern type museum where it is that, you know, it's the white cube type model. I still loved how that exhibition space was presented, but it's it's more clean. It's very standard 
sterile museum layout, which is what I expect. Beautiful place, though. Then we yeah. went to the Gardener, and it was like a completely flip of that. And I know we've only really, you, you know, you've hyped it up to me. We've talked about it on, we've talked about it here before. Absolutely, we've talked about Gunkat. This idea of curating like you're in a home. Um, and I don't know if I've ever really been sold on it. I've always like mm-hmm. I've, I've questioned it. We've gone back and forth. I've always been interested, but I don't know if I ever really had the vision in my mind where I'm like that totally makes sense. And then we went to the gardener, and I think I get it, where I mm. actually appreciated it a lot. There's some questionable choices for sure, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. decisions that personally I don't think I would do, but it's also not my space. I think there's something very special that there is no labels, there is no direction. It's as very displaced looking palace in the middle of Boston or really not in the middle, right, but it's, right. in, it's in the city that I just did not expect to be transported back to Europe. And there's a garden in the middle. That's absolutely gorgeous. And the experience feels like a contemporary art experience, but somehow mm-hmm. I'm looking at all these classical paintings that I've seen in slides or I've seen on white museum walls. And now right. they're like in someone's living room. Like it, it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of like, a, like an older relative or like a grandparent's house where they just have a bunch yeah. of stuff on the walls and yeah. you take a closer look and you're like, oh, is that a sergeant? Mm-hmm. It looks like a sergeant. Right, Maybe right. it's not. I don't know. Is that a whistler? Yeah, I think it mm-hmm. is. And then, mm-hmm. but like you're left to interrogate the art and you don't have someone telling you. So you kind of have to really just sit and look for a really long time. It's like being in an I spy book in a way. <laughs> and I think for me, it was such a fun experience that way. Also fun because I had you as a tour guide, which was great to just learn everything that way. But really just like seeing the detail that she put into every room is so right. meticulously laid out like you're saying everything is in is is absolutely considered and and weird mm-hmm. like but in a good way like i think that has right. its very strange relationships but it kind of reminds me in a way of like you know editing a video or putting photos next to each other where i think there was mm-hmm. that one where wasn't there like the angel's wings next to like the angel in the painting and then there was the wedding the wedding dress painting there. And then there was like the actual lace underneath, like all of these relatively similar objects. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, there's uh, maybe the most famous room is the Titian room where yeah. you have Titian's rape of Europa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the, you see the, the tail of the cow is, some is like almost echoed in the uh in the tassel pattern on the wallpaper that, yes 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 and, and you know uh you have this uh you have this white sheet in the painting and then down below you have a portion of gardener's wedding dress that was what i'm thinking of yeah 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 and it, i mean it's such it's such a it's you know a lot has been talked about that room like people really try to study it because by all accounts um uh isabella and uh jack gardner like you know for for what we typically think of with aristocratic families marrying their children off together by all accounts they they had a uh good loving relationship Um, and, Hmm. you know, she was really, really, uh, heartbroken that they could not have their own children. Uh, you know, she was devastated to lose him. And yet there's this painting, uh, 
of of Greek mythology of you know Zeus taking advantage of a woman, and below she's hung her wedding dress, mm. and you're just what is going on here? Right. What what, meaning, what are we meant know? to interpret from this? Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, I you want to think is this is this what she sees like? the misfortunes of her life like this is what has happened to her or mm. what what does you you want to believe that there is some art going that she is making some artwork out of the artwork that it's like a collage oh, yeah. it it feels that way though it feels like an artwork that's the thing mm-hmm. it's it's like it's part museum part honestly no i think the whole thing really is an artwork in and of itself and i'm sure someone will debate me on it but there's something there where it it, it's the blending of or blurring of lines when it comes to curation as art and artist curation where like yeah you have like um uh what's his name fred wilson curation where you know it that is the artwork the idea of coming into a space and then turning it into that work to be interrogated with while still mm-hmm. staying in that museological way. But I think with Gardner's case, it's, it's, it's different because it is, you can, you, you get the sense of walking in there that there's a, everything has a purpose here. And at the mm-hmm. same time, there's a, there's a need to look at it, that everything has to yeah. be looked at and we have to soak in this culture and soak in this art. And I feel like if, like it's very different having gone to Europe first and then seeing mm. this for me at least right. rather than going to um the, I feel like going to this and then going to Europe you know because right. even when, I remember when we were walking up the steps I was telling you that it felt very similar to like the Bargello in Florence which has its own crazy oh, yeah. history as a fort but it's mm-hmm. very similar in terms of its layout and the way the architecture is and just yeah. w- how objects are displayed but in this case it's very much a dialogue between the artifacts. It's not just the museum committee rearranging things every so years to make sure someone has a job and at the same yeah. time conveying information as time goes on. It's a very, exactly, it's yeah. it's so much more complex when you have something that cannot physically be changed and then we mm-hmm. all still have to interrogate it. But at the same time, it, it feels like a time capsule in that way, but also like someone could have made this now because it's not... In that, like, and we we were talking about this in our previous tours too, you know, especially with the Protestants and Catholics. But that idea that the white cube doesn't really play a factor here. And if anything, mm. it's a, it's totally the opposite, right? Yeah. It's it's horror vacui on everything. I mean, everything is filled. There really is no space mm-hmm. besides the certain halls. I think the Verm- the Vermeer one, or it's the uh, Rembrandt hall, has that like open room that feels like I can breathe you know, a yeah, bit. Yeah. And I was like, this would be sick if we had like a huge dinner table in here, but yeah, <laughs> it's still crowded. Like everything has stuff everywhere, but in a yeah. good, in a good way, not in a crowded over like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what it's kind of like? Um, do you mm. remember that? I mean, I know you'll know this reference, but for those of you on our tour, there's that over the garden wall episode where they go to like the mansion that connects the other mansion. Yes. And it's kind of like it, that. Oh my <laughs> God. It literally is that. It literally right? is that. Cause you have like the different themed era rooms that yeah. lead into each other. Exactly. Like they kind of, it, totally it kind of has that energy to it a little bit. Yeah. Well, like, okay, here's, here's the, a couple of questions I have, kind of had about it about the space you know because some of it is lost on us because it all bleeds together as antiques right where there were very deliberate choices that i wonder how apparent they would have been to a viewer of it um you know a hundred years ago 
uh, where um, if you think about it, you know, Gardner dies in 24. So she's living in, you know, the era where she's seeing modernist art uh, come up. Mm -hmm. And she very, she is making a case for Victorian decoration in an era where that is steeply falling out of fashion. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, there would be a huge distaste for Victorian fashion, especially in uh, the United States going forward from that period, you know, which is why we don't really have a lot of this stuff preserved the way it is. Even now when people make approximations or try to make period houses they really don't get the clutter yeah um that that these victorian mansions would have had they really try to clean it up because of our conception of them but Mm. if you go into the early italian room um there's a kind of modern table with this ancient small uh icon painting that you could almost imagine like sitting down at this this very clean modern desk and contemplating this uh 500 year old depiction of mary and jesus or whatever Mm. and that's kind of lost on us because that table itself is now an antique you know earlier that day when we'd been at the turner exhibit you look at Turner's sketches and, you know, where he's trying to figure things out and they look like contemporary paintings, but to him, they're sketches, they're color right. studies. Right, you right. Look at, you look at Michelangelo's prisoners and they're unfinished sculptures, but they're super, super compelling because they look like bodies trying to free themselves from the stone. Mm. And you have to wonder, is this how they were looking at them? Yeah, that's a big and, question. And it's, it's hard to tell because Gardner's making such a case against modernism um, in, in one sense. She's, she's making a case for uh, individual uh discerning tastes uh and and yet you're 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 wondering is is she aware of this in the context of the art world and we don't have really a lot to to figure out how she saw it herself we mm. can project she right we we I think we rightfully can project the um the identity of curator on her. Yeah, for sure. Um but then there's a lot of other stuff that like there's a lot of scholarship and a lot of hand-wringing about what else can we say about this? Like one of the things that we talked quite a bit about in in a class that I had where we we focused quite a bit on the gardener um was the idea that she's curating as a woman in this time period yeah true and in an era where things were going towards the white cube and like we were saying in the gong exhibit 
the decorative arts were being removed from museums and, and in large part everyday life. And decorative arts were something that were traditionally seen as, you know, just it, they, they were always there to interact with the artwork and the, the scholarship has tried to suggest that the gardening and the decorative elements that Gardner left in place were in part because she was a woman and a woman's place was uh, the domestic life. And she is making a case for the aesthetics of building of building a home around art and to to have gardening still maintained as part of a museum's experience and it's it's so difficult to figure out what how much of that is true how much of that is our conceptions of what it was like to be alive back then people's ideas of themselves yeah and but but it does it does throw a wrinkle into a lot of our ideas about curation because we don't have a lot of examples of women doing this kind of thing where women often would design their homes and it was kind of the thing to do for, you know, all of these wealthy robber barons of the era, you know, it was their wives jobs to, um, you know, uh, make sure they had a, uh, a, a home that followed the latest trends and the best furniture and all of that. Sure. Uh, that was their role. Uh, but Gardner is going in a different direction from what that was expected. She is trying to make a case not only for those decorative elements, but also to say fine art belongs among those things. And particularly like this very prestigious fine art that you presumably need to know something about uh, to truly appreciate in, in mm. a lot of cases. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of that being in like the house is very interesting, you know, that, yeah. cause like, I, I guess the way I'm, I'm coming at this is imagine if we were in a, in a, like a place like this today, like this was happening now and you had right. like, you know, a, a, a Titian painting or even like, yeah, I guess so. Let's go that ancient, right? Let's have a Titian painting in one room and then like a Michael Armitage painting in the other. And also there's like a mm. Laura Favaretto sculpture and a Rachel White Reed sculpture somewhere. But then also there's like an ancient pipe or something from like, you know, the Middle East, and then now there's, like, an Italian stone, you know, carving somewhere. Like, all of these just artifacts in one gathering space. But there's right, contemporary right. artists among them who are in now in dialogue with those things. I yeah, feel like that yeah, would be like, like similar. Kind yeah, of right? Because, I mean, imagine if these people are painting... I mean, obviously, it's going to have a different feeling, but, like, if you're walking into that place then... And you're seeing a sergeant painting in there, and he's quite still alive painting. That's oh, got to yeah. be a very weird feeling because now you're seeing his work against all these other ancient ones, and rather than again, and and not even in and not even in a salon style. It's so mm -hmm. much different than that. It's it has such a different quality, such a different feeling. It's, I I think it's so unique in that way, 
And yeah. I don't know if it's like even with the garden and like the idea of domesticity and like that comment, I'm sure there's levels to it being there. I don't think that's mm-hmm. the idea. I, I'm, what do I know, right? I didn't study. I don't study the gardener, <laughs> and I definitely didn't study Isabel Gardner's life. But at least just coming at it from as an as an artistic point of view and my own point of view, I think there's some merit to the idea of the experience of nature, art, and home life all being in one spot. Right. Where you can actually look outside and you're getting that idea of Europe, like even in monasteries or in those, mm-hmm. right? Because like monasteries have courtyards too, but then at the same time, so do palaces back in, in like the Medici Palace in Florence for one that has a very nice garden in the middle of it. Yeah. And this idea that there's always a center on some sort of gathering spot in European mm-hmm. cultures, at least in the South. And yeah. that idea that you can go inside of it to look at whatever paintings were there. That's got to carry over, but I feel like the deeper concept there is, again, that sense that's carrying us through the whole thing, you know? And you're kind of in a greenhouse at that point because of the glass ceiling above, which right. is one thing, too, that threw me for a minute. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just my take that I think all there's very small details there that all account for the curation. But and, mm-hmm. and it could be, I could be very wrong and thinking about, I'm thinking about this too contemporary-wise and mm-hmm. we have to, because, you know, Going back into that lens is going to be difficult, I think, for all of us, especially like you said about actually how, no, you know, they Victorian style, you know, decoration or interior design. Yeah, they're going to be very cluttered. That's look at their graphic design for one. It's crazy, (laughs) but it is like. I don't know. It's just something else there that I feel like that's too easy of an answer. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe it's not. Yeah, you it's you not don't want to say, uh, you know, Gardner was, you know, just girl boss, literally had a glass ceiling uh, in her house so that she right. could have a courtyard in New England. Hey, man, I mean, whatever you got to do to make it work, it works really well. I, I'm here for I mean, if, if anything, yeah. it's kind of solar punk in a weird way. We should bring yeah, it back. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it fits so well in contemporary times, like so, mm-hmm. so well. And it's like it what, more than 100 years old now, right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm really I'm really interested to hear you say all of that as you know, because you get to see it with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I mean, there there are some things about her that, you know, would not square with all of our sure. contemporary sensibilities. I mean, for one thing, I, well, here's one of those things where you have to, I think, understand multiple things can be true about a person. Right. Um, Gardner, I think it is evident from what she was doing, clearly loved art and cared about art and supported artists really had genuine beliefs, I think, about a a sort of universal human spirituality and connectivity, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think she tried to do in, in her in her museum. She wanted to have religious items from uh, different cultures from around the world. Um, Some unfortunately are no longer on display. We we might talk about that in a moment. that is, I, I do believe that about her. Yet, um, one thing to also understand was she kept her museum open only the bare minimum number of days for it to yeah. be considered a museum. Right, right. She wasn't, you know, she limited how many people could come in. It was open very few days. 
to the public. Um, she would follow people around. She was very protective of everything. She didn't really know about how to run a museum. Uh, and as you can see, everything's kind of out in the open and you, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you, she kind of didn't, you know, suddenly you realize, oh, this is why museums separate people from the objects. Um, right. She really made, she used a lot of her connections, uh, to really raise a fuss about the taxes that she was paying on importing artwork. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, basically trying to dodge taxes on the, on, on her, on her inheritance and her acquisitions based on the idea that this was for educational purposes for the benefit of the people of Boston. Uh, might've been fibbing a little on that one, but yeah. maybe not maybe not i don't know yeah, but the bare yeah. minimum I mean, thing's a little sketch I, but... yeah you know she she was many things one of them she was rich um yeah not the not the richest yeah. she was like you know the the underdog rich socialite of boston sure. <laughs> but right. still a, a middle class rich a, person a boston socialite upper middle class upper middle class rich person <laughs> well it, it's like you have you know just general class system but then you have the rich class system which also from from you know, yeah. rich to then insanely wealthy. It is it is that whole weird thing of like even among the wealthy, like that they look down among other people within their within their tax yeah. bracket. Yeah. That's ah, rich people, man. It's insane. Yeah. I but that's the thing. That's like that's the only thing I would say that gets a little I mean, it's a human beings at the end of the day. It's always gonna be a complicated conversation, but I think it's interesting, like, I kind of, I feel that in a bit of a way, like, imagine having this amazing idea to open a museum, and then you kind of forget, mm -hmm. as in, you never learned how to run one, like, the yeah. business side, because, you know, mm -hmm. I think there's rights to be nervous, for sure, and, like, yeah. wanting to make sure nobody, like, takes anything, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, it sort of opens up that whole conversation of, closing museums to the public versus opening them and alienating people from spaces and how do you handle yeah. that and i don't know it's but I, I mean i'm glad it's open to the public now at least i mean the reserving yeah. thing is actually quite nice i have to say because it's yeah like, that you reserve a spot ahead of i time think it's great i mean yeah. the because it's so the, the borghese does that in rome where you can you have to reserve a time and you only get an i mean this is a little different you only get an hour or so to go mm -hmm. through and then you have to like move so you're constantly yeah. moving but you're only in there with like 50 people and it's a pretty big space. So yeah. you actually can go up to like Bernini's David and look at it and you can mm -hmm. really spend mm -hmm. time in front yeah. and like yeah. no one's really crowding you. It's not like the, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be like going to the Louvre and seeing Mona mm -hmm. Lisa, right? Or, or And then you really can't because everybody's just completely I'd be so angry it. I'd throw cake at the Mona Lisa. Yeah, oh my God, I cannot... Uh, of yeah. all things man I, I wonder if they were trying to make a revolution joke or something but I believe it was trying to raise awareness about the climate yeah it was a climate change protest which got swept under the rug very quickly so well I mean so did uh, the, the the guy that self immolated the what what, did he, what? oh yeah, did he light himself on fire yeah yeah I heard about that yeah yeah, yeah the real hmm yeah, yeah. Um, mm, mm, yeah, a lot of things going on. Yeah, um, climate change is real, everybody. We really need to do something is, about it that. It is, 
and so, but yeah, the the it's all part of what we have to consider about um, absolutely about yeah. Gardner's vision. Um, sh- there used to be a room that was uh, that had more uh, East Asian objects because uh, you know she did collect quite a bit uh, outside of Europe as well. Um, and a lot of that stuff has been taken off of display. Uh, I don't know if there was an issue of feeling that it was insensitive to sort of have it all displayed together as a sort of generalized spirituality, but it does sound like it would have been quite interesting to see, um, you know, uh, statues, um, depicting figures all sort of almost communing together uh from from different places all over the world um that being said you know gardner was most familiar with christianity so most of the art in her in her museum reflects that and reflects her understanding of even just all the references right uh to 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 christian art particularly european christian art um, and I think, you know, that's just something we can chalk up to, you know, the style at the time. That sure. being said, even her portrait of herself, you know, makes references to like geometric mandalas, uh, oh, you yeah. know, in the background that sort of give her this halo that make her look like this holy figure. But um, the the patterning in the back is very oriental. Hmm. Yeah, so she's she's she has this idea of herself and this idea of of humanity. It's very, you know, uh you know, uh post great awakening, yeah. you know, uh Massachusetts uh you know, re- uh new religion. Do you think that she read Madame Blavatsky's like writings? Or skim them, maybe, because it's like impossible to I read. Mean, or do you think she was that, like eh. that time? That time frame. It's hard. It's hard to know because at that at that point she was older. You know, she was born in eighteen forty. Okay. So yeah. So by the time depends. by the time that stuff is by the time the museum opens, she is older. Okay. Um, and she's not like in with like this is the thing to what what i'm trying to understand is her relationship to what her contemporary art would have been her relationship to modernism i think she i think there is some evidence she was interested in like a lot of the weird esoteric spirituality that was going on at the time i don't know if it went as far as (laughs) you know the uh the the hilma off clint Alistair Crowley, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, right. Uh, Madame Blavatsky. I, d- I don't know if it went fully into that. Um, okay. But because, like, I mean, there's there's these great photos of her at the construction site of the museum, and she is in this long, black, uh, very, very elaborate, very decorative dress and huh. hat and everything. And she's just standing there among the construction crew, you know, because she was very hands-on with everything. She 
had brought back all of these architectural elements from Europe and wanted them incorporated into the building. Um, but it's just sort of, it's, it's so surreal because she's clearly in a space that is, uh, is, you know, uh, she's in a man's space and here she is like dressed in this, in this outfit that would have been appropriate for her to go outside as a woman. And yet she looks like an alien standing on this job site, uh, with all of these, you know, guys with their shirt sleeves rolled up, you know, digging and, and, you know, putting up brick. Uh, it's, it's very, you know, you, you, you have to remember, you know, she is, she was, she was born before the civil war. Yeah. That's pretty Uh, crazy. And, and she's, you know, while a a progressive person in, in many views, she was older when that stuff was happening. You know, she would have, she would have been in her sixties and seventies. when when we, when we think of that, that type of stuff uh, happening in the early 1900s and 1910s where people are really getting into weird esoteric stuff. Right. So she would have kind of just missed that. I think so. Although, you know, I mean, I think it's our old ladies spooky intentionally, or do they just uh, get like that? Yeah, do they just mm, get like that? That's a good, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a real, um, uh Schrodinger's cat kind of situation. I guess we'll just exactly. never know. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of things we'll never know. Um right. I believe this I believe we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the thing that for better or for worse might be the more famous yeah. thing of about the Gardner Museum and that is the theft in 1990. Now, did you know anything about this before I brought you in? No, I had no clue. That's what okay. was so funny to me when you were like, oh, yeah, it's actually famous for this. And I was like, it is? I thought it was famous for curation. So I actually had no clue. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's like when, when you when you when you grow up with something, not realizing that like, oh, yeah. this is famous for for something else. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In the early morning of March 19th, 1990, the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum uh, was robbed mm. of 13 works of art. Uh, among them, uh, we had one of the only known Vermeer paintings, the concert painted in 1664. Uh, we had Rembrandt's only seascape storm on the sea of Galilee from 1633 stolen um, like I said, in total 13 works, the total value, uh, worth about $500 million. Jesus. So this is a lot of cash, really the, the biggest art, art heist of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and did they, did they catch those guys? Um, well, wouldn't (laughs) you know it? Uh, (laughs) it also remains unsolved, which is officially unsolved Uh, yeah which is extremely weird um for this for a lot of reasons like stealing work that is this high profile like when i say it's one of the only known vermeers there's like what 30 something vermeers something like that yeah 
Yeah. Um, so if you were to go to try and sell this, the second you showed it to anyone who would be willing to pay for what it's worth, they would know where you got it. The, the provenance of these objects is, you know, completely thwarted you being able to sell them on really any kind of market. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's very curious what's going on. Um, the, uh, the FBI has been involved with it. Uh, and the, the, the way it was stolen, and, the, and this is part of the reason why people think it was an inside job, you know, some stuff was taken very carelessly. Uh, uh, some stuff seems to have been taken meticulously. Um, some stuff seems random. Other stuff seems very deliberately chosen uh, to be taken. It's um, the, two men showed up, weirdly in a hatchback, not a police car. Right. Um, they asked to enter. This was uh, on St. Patrick's Day, so a lot has been blamed on, you know, everybody was just kind of not on their A game after St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Yeah, it'll do it. Yeah. Um, and the there were supposed to be two guards, uh, and one of them left, leaving one guard who is, I think, is still kind of like, while he is now deceased, I think he is, uh, it is assumed that he had something to do with it. Or no, sorry, no, he's not deceased. Um, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, but I have but no idea. Basically, like, he was not, like, super reputable as it was. Um, but he claims, at least, that he was thrown in the basement, uh, you know, duct taped up, and they had, like, 83 minutes in the museum. It was not a fast heist. Right. So, and then, you know, the security tapes are deleted, which was also very suspicious. Um, and there was also something weird about the motion detectors, like that, uh, it shows, it shows them like, uh, like one, one of the frames of one of the stolen artworks was put in the security desk, hmm. but the motion sensors only show someone going down there once. So it would seem like they had already stolen the paintings and then gone down to the security to either, you know, throw the security guard down there. Right. Or, or security guard was in on it. Um, yeah. The, the, the two guys were, you know, clearly not police officers. They said that they came in to look at, to, to investigate a disturbance. Um, and just made off with all of this art, the, uh, even the way that the guy was discovered was a little suspect, but I think there's there's never been an official declaration of here's who did it. A lot of the people suspected uh, to be involved have died. Um, yeah, and yeah. this has so the I think a big going theory is that this is connected to organized crime in the Northeast between Boston uh, and. Philadelphia and I think New Jersey as well. And this would make sense for the paintings because if they're being traded among mob families, 
then that's sort of the only network that would be completely closed off and you would not have, you could actually use them as an untraceable currency among the mob uh, without, uh, you know, a, a need for, mm. uh, w- w- without the need to go to market, you know? Right. It's, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like an NFT, <laughs> you know, kind of really, is just real. It, this is <laughs> and illegal, I guess. Um, yeah, no, so, it, Joe, you could be weirdly really close to one of the be, being in your proximity to Philadelphia. You could weirdly be really close to some of these missing paintings. It's very possible. I mean, it's it's definitely possible, I would say. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense to be honest, that they would just be traded in, like, the mob or something, or yeah. just in some, you know, person's house in that yeah, way. non-fungible some... titians. Oh, that's good. That's, hmm. I'm going to start calling them that now, and all the crypto bros <laughs> are going to get mad, but you know what? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Non-fungible titian. Um, but it is also kind of weird, because like, I was reading recently that the FBI have been, like, close casing it or at least just saying like they figure who it is and we're just going to kind of roll with that because i don't know if they want to deal with it anymore so that was pretty right. interesting but they also well, like, don't I think, have it. i think they i think they kept trying to investigate people and people that they went to interview kept dying yeah yes yeah well i don't know about suspiciously i just know they just died or were getting old um that's even worse that they were dying suspiciously hmm. conspiracy um mm. But I also think it's kind of wild when it's like, I think any story where it's, they find out information, like, you know, from some cellmate from, you know, whenever ago who was like, oh, yeah, I shared a cell with this guy who said he robbed an art museum, whatever. And then mm-hmm. that's how they figure it out. Like, it's Shawshank Redemption. Gets yeah. a little suspicious. But also, yeah. like, they can't do much more because they're, all yeah. the suspects are dead. So, right. unless they have an exorcist you know, a priest or someone that can like contact mm-hmm. them or whoever does that, you know, it's, it's a little yeah. contact. It gets a little difficult. Yeah. What did you think then knowing that and knowing that the museum is not, you know, the, the intention is to not change anything. What was your impression of the Dutch room with the, mm. uh, with the mis- with the empty frames where the, where the paintings were just cut out of, but the canvas was just cut out of them. It's pretty haunting, not going to lie. I mean, I know I was very confused and was like, hey, what's up with the, like, just frames? Because I mm-hmm. was like, maybe it's like an aesthetic or something. And then you were telling me the story and I had no idea. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, if you don't know, it's pretty creepy because mm-hmm. you're like, why is something not there? Mm-hmm. The idea of a, of a a frame with a void, right, that there's nothing in it is already kind of odd of a choice. And then mm-hmm. now knowing that it's gone, but we keep the memory there with the sighting yeah. intact is even, I think, more sad, honestly. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. me, I think it's such a testament to like what would have been there, right? It's the traces of the last moment of those paintings being in that spot and now are no longer, mm. or paintings or objects even, that are no right. longer present in the room. But there's like that minimum trace that remains. And I think it's an mm-hmm. actual interesting way of when the rule of them not being able to change anything kind of works to their advantage. Because I do think it makes for a statement that's like really important. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, cause I feel like that's another thing that like feels unintentionally contemporary. This yeah. Empty frame, exactly. These empty frames on the wall. It's exactly. like, it feels like, you know, other attempts to make a statement about missing art from, uh, the, the art history canon. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, cause it yeah. reads again, it reads differently if you don't know that, um, if you don't know that story to it, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, again, why is there missing? Oh, it's because maybe they broke or they can't find them anymore or it's the paintings that couldn't be collected. It was like they did that at the Turner exhibit too, right? Mm-hmm. It was like the Turners they couldn't get, they just had the empty frames because they wanted to show it like Turner always wanted. So it yeah. has its own impression, which is always kind of weird. But yeah, um, I don't know. I think it works, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, um, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how change had to eventually come to it, that it could not be, you know, obviously now the museum's modernized in a lot of ways, the, um, the windows have, you know, had to been re- be replaced with UV. Yeah. The, the lighting has been modernized in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's light and- bulbs. Yeah, (laughs) it's electricity. It's um, you know, it it's light in the same way that Gardner's illusion of trying to make a a palatial home that you know that really only she lived on the top floor, uh, that that's off limits to the public, and I think it's now all offices, um, that you know, it's still like this illusion of the time capsule, but it's it's not untouched, you know, by the now almost century that she's been gone. Uh, And, you know, the other issue is she was changing it while she was alive. It It was a living space. There were curatorial decisions that she would make over time hmm. to sort of better fit her vision. Um. So while I'm glad it's been preserved and everything, you 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 almost wonder like if there were some kind of guidelines to continue that. What what would that look like if it kept evolving? Would it look like every other museum, which right, you know, they they all kind of start to look the same after a while. Yeah, uh, just a smidge. Yeah, it, and it's really odd too. We'll ha- this will have to be a separate conversation one day. But weirdly, a lot of the philosophies that Gardner put in place really heavily influenced the Boston MFA. Huh. And the Boston MFA is really where, at least in the United States, we get the White Cube Gallery. Huh. Right. I yeah. remember you were telling me that it's. It's kind of odd. It's hmm. it's incredibly odd, especially if you contrast those two things next to each other. But there's there's similar ideas at play, and it's uh, it's it's very fascinating, very fascinating yeah. history, and it and it feels like it's sort of like this tucked away thing in 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 Boston that yeah is not necessarily super well known beyond this heist and. On one hand, I kind of understand that because it's the um, 
it's difficult to explain to people that don't know or care about art the significance of it to curation. And then on the yeah. other hand, it's kind of like it's kind of the Sue problem, the Sue the T-Rex. Like right. it's one it's that moment where suddenly everybody cares about a very niche interest only because it has wandered into the territory of true crime. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess that's kind of true. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, people that dig up dinosaurs are mostly nerdy and probably a lot of people find them boring uh but Fair. what if there was a whole uh court case surrounding it and there was you know secret government secrets and right secret government. <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah i mean because like if you if you say the u.s government had to seize a tyrannosaurus rex that's the plot of jurassic park too right there that, yeah no that um that sounds way more interesting to the lay person than all of the invaluable science that we got from studying Sue. People don't want the science, Zam. They want the they want the flash. They want the glamour. Mm. They want the action. I don't care about the curation. I care <laughs> about the heist, the drama. <laughs> it's the marvelization of everything. In you know? your group in your group of people that you know, who uh -huh. do you who do you go on a heist with? Um, oh gosh, I I don't I, like to name names specifically. Like, what do you mean? I don't know if I want to out anybody that would be that I think you would be want, very good you at don't stealing. Want to out your friends, out your which of your friends would be good at uh, stealing I things? I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I could definitely I could definitely think of a few select that I would take, and I could definitely think of a few I would not. Sorry, guys, mm -hmm. but this is mm -hmm. this requires. A okay, scout. okay, so so we're not okay. Well, we'll have we'll have to come up with code names, I guess, at some point. Yeah, I don't know if I think I'd be too stressed though for me personally to handle a heist. Yeah, the, the heist is oh, so it's the most stressful part of the movie. That's. There's so much planning. Everything has to go according to plan. And what if it doesn't? You have to improvise. That's the only thing I'm probably good at is improvising on the spot. Yeah, but then yeah. at the very end, it's revealed you switched the real Declaration yes. of Independence with the one from the gift shop. Right, that you bought off screen. Absolutely. This is totally mm -hmm. a part of the plan and then forgot about. Or it's like, yeah, I oh, gosh, perfect heist movie. Yeah, yeah. But but that but that's that's the whole thing. It's like a National Treasure makes you know, revolutionary war history. It makes fun. it it makes cool. it suddenly fun. With you a know, weird um, patriotic what, what twist that? though. You know? Yeah, a little bit. And <laughs> also the the, yeah. I, the idea that El Dorado is buried under Mount Rushmore. Totally. Totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um or movie. uh or the way Monuments Men, that movie. Never saw that uh, movie. I it's not great. Yeah, everybody told uh, me to watch it, but I wasn't really that into it no, like i was just it, never interested but, but it, Again, it, it has that issue where it's trying really hard to make this thing exciting like ooh, art history but during the height of world war ii yeah um you know that that sounds you know it, it's trying to get people excited about these sure. people that have otherwise nerdy jobs you know it's yeah i it, mean it's it's the, it's the da vinci code problem oh my god the da vinci code doesn't even make sense 
The name doesn't even make sense. His name's not Da Vinci. He's from yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the first code right there. Right, the immediate problem in the name. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just gotten worse, to be honest, yeah. that everything has to be, not that this is going to turn into some weird rant, but like everything has to kind of be a bit like hyped to keep our attention or intense yeah. or like action packed. But in reality, yeah. like a lot of these things are not that it's why you, you know, it's your Indiana Jones, right? Archaeology where you actually go out there and treat objects with care and don't manhandle them. No, you need a whip and a gun and a cowboy hat and you're good to go, which to right. be honest, sounds like a lot of fun. Oh yeah, but no, it's, 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 it's but it's it's, it's Roy Chapman Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, I was just gonna say. It, it's, yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, it, the 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 cowboy paleontologist. It's uh, <sighs> what a cool title. Yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. a, a bad guy, but cool title, right? <laughs> He's the one that just like would violate laws, right, and just like walk into certain places. Um, no. Or is that a that, different person? Who's that, that one? That's a different guy. Ah, Roy whoops, Chapman don't wanna... Andrews. Roy Chapman Andrews, by all accounts, was a pretty. Chill dude. You know, he, cool. he was he was of his time, but all he right. was he was a pretty cool dude. I, all I, right, all right. I think I think I think I think we can we can uh be interested in him. Uh Pete Larson was the guy That's that, who, okay. that wandered yeah. onto uh <laughs> yeah. water wandered onto an Indian reserve and stole a dinosaur skeleton. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So uh Who was the one in Mongolia yeah. though? Who just like showed up? And that was, was that was Roy Chapman Andrews. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Showed, yeah, he just showed up. Yeah, showed that's up what I was talking home. about. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, not great, but eh. yeah. Well, yeah. anyways, people can be problematic. I think that's what we're getting yes. at. But at the same time, yes. yeah, it, it is back back to the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum, and and also I think in summary, it yeah, I think that the heist definitely brings attention to it. Yeah. But at the same time, I think maybe that can work to its advantage. I wish people would care more about like the curation and maybe people yeah. do. I don't really know. I mean, I think when, when we were there, people interacted with the space. Like they were really into taking photos in the space and the lighting. Cause the lighting is amazing. It's like movie lighting. It's incredible. And like just in experiencing the space. And honestly, I think doing that in your own way is fine. And something like that, because it's, it's, I don't know if, you know, she would like it, but you're getting that experience out of it, you know? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. It's, um, it's one of those things that you, you kind of want, you wish people would focus more on, but it, um, it requires a lot of context and a lot of effort, I think. And, and some sort, some sort of interest in for sure history, I, I don't want to say that like you can walk in there and not enjoy it and not, by not knowing anything about art history. I actually would really love to go in there with someone that doesn't know about mm. art history. I got to take my too. parents. That's going to be the mm. test because they don't know anything about it. And I feel like they mm. would like the space because it's just beautiful. Yeah, like, no, it's, it is. It is absolutely gorgeous. And you do sort of wonder what what will be communicated to them once you uh once you sort of like pass the gauntlet of the the authority of the museum and you suddenly feel like you're in a space where your perspective is prioritized over the 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 intended meaning or purpose of that artwork that is yeah something very fascinating 
I think the problem is the way that a lot of that stuff is marketed. Yeah, mm. at least how museums a lot of times are marketed to tourists. It's um I I feel like it it's a different kind of sell that when when you say, "Well, what's that museum about?" Oh, well, it, you know, it was some uh rich old lady's art collection. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh let's go to the let's go to this museum that, you know, says what it's about and uh you know it's the uh i don't know the 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 fly fishing museum somehow i don't know if that's going to be as interesting but it's going (laughs) to sound more interesting but you know what you're you know what you're getting into and i guess see those fishing fly those fishes fly you know is that what fly that's not what fly fishing is i know fly fly no fly fly fishing is uh is those those really fancy uh, lures? No, that, no, uh, I know, but I like to oh, imagine oh, okay. that they actually fly. Yeah, <laughs> you actually have to fly your fish. You know, no, no, I know, I know what it is. Oh, I've, I've seen enough fishing documentaries. I understand. Uh, <laughs> what what fishing documentaries are you watching? Um, what's the one with the guy who? D, d, was it uh, River Monsters or River River Monsters? Was? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it was called? Right, River Monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah I deadly, love that one. Deadliest catch is crabs. Yeah, I've seen that one a few times too. I don't know if it's a, the same. Um, different vibe, yeah. kind of more industrial. Definitely a commentary mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the. I learned a lot on the Discovery Channel. Saying as a kid, I had a oh, lot of yeah, free yeah, time yeah. watching that, that's, TV. That's clear, clearly, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, again, it was super great to get to be there with you, to be in person. Mm, and likewise, hopefully likewise. Now that, you know, school's over for me and we've got all sorts of great stuff coming up for us. Yes. This, uh, this, hopefully we'll get to do more things in person and we'll get to do more of our reviews of places mm. we visit. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, definitely it was a really fun time. Definitely glad to have been there in person with you being able to interact in the space. You know, we weren't mm-hmm. the main tour guides there. We got yelled at by a security guard. That was funny. <laughs> Didn't even talk about that. And we're it's the like, ones excuse here. me, sir. I took a <laughs> class on this museum. I'm allowed. Oh, oh, it was so funny. We were, they were like, instead of in Italy where the thing beeps at you, we had somebody just get real close in our face and be like, you have to step back, please. I don't even yeah. know if they said please, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Well, they, I they take it. They they take it very seriously. It's like they fool <laughs> me once. We were keeping them in check, is the way I like to think about it. You know, we mm-hmm. have to make sure they're, they're like, going to do their they, job. They don't want to lose another Rembrandt on their watch. <laughs> I don't know if we were the ones who were going to take it though, but you know that's fair. You gotta you gotta praise them for doing their you know being on guard mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it was really a great experience and absolutely mm-hmm. fun to be able to see in person. I highly recommend to go. Especially after yes. listening, you know, listening to us talk about it, it's so much better to just go there and actually mm-hmm. experience it, walk around, you know, see the art. It's great. Highly recommend it if you go to Boston. Definitely do the UCM trip where you have to go and see all the different places Zan visited. It's definitely important to the history of the museum, I would say, at least in the background. Um, we'll have to get that together. Maybe that's a map design somewhere. I'll figure out because I feel like that's funny. Um, but yeah, no, looking forward to what's going to come next. Definitely hope to do more in-person tours of places. I mean, we're almost kind of neighbors to an extent on the East Coast now. So that makes it closer, a little closer than we have been in literally years. Yeah, literally. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um. Well, what uh, what have you got going on, Joe? Outside of outside of the museum. Ooh. Well, I have uh two. Well, I have an exhibition that's open now in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the St. Kate Arts Hotel airspace called Ephemeral History When Light Takes Form. It's a solo show, actually, that's been in the works for a couple weeks now. It's part of the reason why, you know, wasn't able to to have some tours, but I'm really excited about it and go check it out if you're in that area. And likewise to that, uh, because I'm doing the Midwest circuit, it seems like, or at least the Milwaukee one, <laughs> there's another upcoming exhibition in September that I think the name has been settled on movement with, or Teleportal Presents Movement, the collective that I'm a part of. And that's at the Real Tinsel Gallery and it'll be September 9th, I believe. So I'll have more details about that soon, but just keep that on your radar. And as of right now, that's pretty much what I got going on. Also, expect some music release soon. It is actually going to happen. I promise. I'm not lying. <laughs> How about yeah. you, Zam? What do you got going on? Um, well, first of all, congratulations, Joe. Oh, thank shows, you. Thank you so much. That is super exciting. Um, yes. And as if you weren't aware uh, just of the craziness of last week, I at the last couple of weeks, I have... <laughs> I graduated. I had my thesis yeah. show that Joe performed at with me, which was Ugh, great. So much Got fun. S- yeah, was also surprised uh, by my mom with my my cousin visiting, my childhood friend Isaac, who mm, Joe legend. got to meet, which is super surreal. Oh man, crossover uh, <laughs> the century! What a guy! It, it a really though, really though. Um, yeah, shout out to Isaac. Uh, yes, shout out to Isaac. And, all, and also visiting the Gardner Museum with us, Yes, too. yeah. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God, it was so much while fun. Because we while we were, you know, just geeking out and everything, you know, Isaac and Al- and my girlfriend, Allison, <laughs> they, I think they, they, were, they were also enjoying it, but I think they were also just happy we were having fun. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, the good sports. Um, mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, so uh yeah, I've I now am also a master of fine arts. Uh so hopefully hopefully the UCM will start paying both of us more now that they've got double masters yes, uh, yeah. leading these tours. Um I have now moved to Hudson Valley, New York. I am living in the unincorporated town of Salt Point. Oof. Uh which is quite different from Boston. De- uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, but sh- Still the East mm-hmm. Coast. Now you're closer. So yeah, yeah. To be I'm, a New, I'm Yorker. A New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're an upstate New Yorker. So yeah. It's even better. I, yeah. I no, know. it's good. Like, I well, like I kept telling people, I, I started to have it to clarify because I was telling people I was moving to New York and they're like, yeah. you're moving to New York City? I'm like, no. No, I'm actually far from there. <laughs> you have to say, upstate. Uh, yeah. Got, but I, I, I have a new job now. Uh, I'm. Uh, this is very exciting. I'm going to be a professor at uh, a I'm going to be doing a teaching fellowship uh, this upcoming uh, school semester, which is very exciting at the SMFA. They can't get rid of me that easily. Can't get rid of you. What? Huh? Mm-hmm. So proud of you. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, I don't have anything super uh, immediate to announce. I'll hopefully be working on some more projects during the summer. Uh, to get out there uh i will be posting uh some of my art from my show uh for sale on my website zampeters.com uh but other than that it's uh it's kind of time to 
take a breath and figure out what is next. Um, it's mm. hard to plan more art exhibits when I have no furniture and I live in a house full of spiders and stink bugs that I am currently trying to figure out how to get rid of because apparently uh, the place that I just moved into, nobody has lived in in two years. That'll do it. Now they live there and you're kind of, you know, infiltrating their territory. So you might want to strike a deal or go to war. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with Mm -hmm. that. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, it's super exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you would like to find uh, me after hours, I am at Xanasaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. If you'd like to follow the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, We'll be uh, back soon, hopefully with uh, some very, very cool uh, exhibits you won't want to miss. And maybe Absolutely. in the not too distant future, the return of a museum legend. Mm. Uh, so be on the lookout. Uh, in the meantime, from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joseph Mino. Know.